I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. I was planning on making a podcast last week. Believe it or not, I really was. But uh, unfortunately, because of the holidays coming up, work has just been very crazy. They need a lot of people around, and they need a lot of good people around. And unfortunately, I happen to be more than capable of doing my job, which means I get punished with more working hours. I mean, granted, I, you know, I don't whine and complain about it, but my wallet will feel happier once, uh, once paycheck arrives. But, uh, I'm just going to give us some very quick thoughts on the fights from last week. David Lemieux versus Gabe Rosado. Wow, I did not expect this to be as one-sided as it was. I thought it would be a much, much more difficult fight for Lemieux, but wow. Every shot that he was landing sounded like it hurt, and that, that he should have a piece of Rosado's face on his gloves. And, oh, props to Gabe Rosado for hanging in there as long as he did, but... Even the referee looked uh, like he was cringing with each shot that Lemieux was landing. It was just a great performance by Lemieux. Uh, he's, you know, been working very hard to build up his career ever since he had those two back-to-back losses uh, against, uh, it was Marco Antonio Rubio and Joaquin Alcine. Uh That was back in 2011. No, he just looked really, really strong, really great. A lot of people are saying Lemieux versus uh, Gennady Golovkin, that would be a great fight. However, I think if they want to keep uh, building building him up slowly, not, not too slowly, but at a good pace, they should really focus maybe on Andy Lee, who I will be mentioning later. But other than that, Gabe Rosado gets stopped in the 10th round by David Lemieux in what was a very good performance by Lemieux. Look forward to seeing him in the future. And also, check out his interview with Boxing for Free Zone, Judy Abate. He did that just a few weeks ago. Go back and read that because you're going to be wanting to read a lot more about this guy in the years to come. Okay, now let's talk about Jean Pascal versus Bolanti. What have I said in the past? I've always said, among other things, that it is a bad idea to sign to fight an opponent before you've actually finished one fight. You know, go back to Victor Ortiz versus Josecito Lopez. Before that fight was even done, Golden Boy was saying, oh, Ortiz is going to fight Canelo because we want to cash out on him. I mean, because it's going to be a great fight. And then Lopez breaks Ortiz's jaw and the fight doesn't happen. It's always been a bad idea. I thought it was a bad idea when uh, Kovalev signed to fight Hopkins before uh, he won his previous fight. And obviously he did win it, but uh, (laughs) they got kind of nervous when he got uh, knocked down briefly in the first round. He came back to win. I think it was the next round after that or the third, but I've always been of the philosophy, don't sign to a fight before you have to complete another one. It's just a terrible idea. And that's what's happened now. 
because uh, the fight with Belanti was ruled a no decision after after uh, Pascal Belanti. They were in a clinch. Uh, Pascal got hit on the back of the head, and so he fired a little shot to Belanti while the referee's calling for a break. And Belanti goes down. He had to be carried out on a stretcher. Roy Jones Jr., who was uh, in Pascal's corner, and Russ Amber, a guy I really respect and admire the hell out of. They were both saying Belanti was faking. I don't know, but at the same time, Belanti was apparently seen at the airport the next day looking just fine on his way back to Italy. Uh, The problem was, from what I've seen, Pascal looked very good. He even scored a brief knockdown in the second round. It was a flash knockdown. Belanti was maybe on the canvas for half a second and got right back up. But if your last fight is a no contest, I, I don't know. It just doesn't do much to whet the appetite for a huge fight with Sergei Kovalev. And that's what this whole fight was for. Pascal had signed saying, oh, if I beat Belante, then, or Belante, however you say his name, I get to fight Sergei Kovalev. That would be a great fight. It'd be very entertaining. Kovalev's fought in Quebec before. Ugh. It, it's just a shame. It's a shame because, uh, you know, if I'm Pascal, I would want a victory going into this fight with Kovalev, but I don't know. We're going to have to see what happens. Uh, Pascal's very lucky that he did not get a disqualification. Because I think that if this fight happened any place else, if it happened outside of Canada, he would have gotten disqualified. I honestly believe that. So uh, the fight with Kovalev is apparently still on. But I don't know. The excitement for it... It's maybe not be as big as I as, uh, originally hoped for. Moving on. Oh, very quickly, just before we move on to the big fights from this past weekend. Milorad Zizek. That's a name that you may remember, but you don't remember where. Well, you've uh, heard, or rather, you've seen my interview with him. We did that uh, a little while ago, back in 2013. He's training with Roy Jones Jr. now. Uh, you may have seen me post some videos of him training with... Floyd Mayweather Sr., but he's uh, in Roy Jones Jr.'s camp right now. He's uh, he's really enjoying it from what he's told me. He thinks that it's an absolute dream come true. He thinks Roy's the best fighter ever, and he's just enjoying everything he does. Roy was not in his corner for his uh, past fight this past, or not this past weekend, but uh, the previous one, but he scored a unanimous decision victory over Dennis Sharp. Sharp, uh, if you look at his record, it's not that impressive, but he's faced a lot of uh, familiar names, a few of them being DeAndre Lattimore, Lattimore, Peter Quillen, James Kirkland. Uh, Not too sure what's next for him. What's next for Zizek, I mean. I really don't care about Sharp. Maybe retirement should be next for him. But again, I'm... I'm going to try to uh, get a more detailed interview out of him. He's just very excited to be working with uh, Roy Jones Jr. Wish all the best to him in 2015, and I hope that he gets to fight more often. He only had two fights this past year. One was this uh, unanimous decision victory over Sharp. The other was in uh, Germany against a 
of an opponent named Mehmet uh, Karaka. Again, you, probably not a name you're very familiar with, but uh, I hope that Milorad Zizek can become a name that the boxing community gets more familiar with. All right, moving on. 46-year-old Antonio Tarver continues on the comeback trail after he stopped Jonathan Banks in the seventh round. Jonathan Banks, oddly enough, uh, has been out of the ring even longer than Tarver. Tarver's last fight was in November of 2013. Banks, I, I actually had to look this up because I didn't believe it at first. Banks had been out of the ring since June of 2013. So he's been out of the ring even longer. I am not that surprised... Um, at the result, Tarver, he's he's a lot hungrier. No disrespect to Jonathan Banks, of course, but I think that he can really just focus the rest of his career training Vladimir Klitschko and making money off of that. Really, think about it. I mean, if you were to ask me, hey, Andrew, what would you rather do, fight or train Vladimir Klitschko? I'd say I'd rather train Klitschko. Of course, that's just me. Um, Tarver realistically i don't think he's going to be getting a shot at a heavyweight title anytime soon being up somebody who's been uh, out of the ring for 18 months doesn't do a lot to i don't know to make any of the leading heavyweights well that mostly that's just klitschko and severn but he's going to be fighting wilder so klitschko severn and wilder they aren't really saying oh i really want to fight antonio tarver and beat him no uh this isn't 2004, 2005 anymore. Let's be realistic about that, please. Um, yeah, yeah I, I saw Tarver's body, and I don't know. He's obviously able to get off shots, but he uh, doesn't look like he's in the best of shape, though. It, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just his arms, but they seem almost a bit too thin for his body. Maybe that's just me anyway. Moving on. Ah, here, here's a story I've wanted to uh, get to for a while. Arislandi Lara, and I, I can already hear my audience groaning even though this is pre-recorded. Yeah, Andrew Schweitzer once again won't shut the hell up about Arislandi Lara. But, come on, you gotta give the guy props. Scored a really, really clear victory over Ishe Smith. I think the most you could give Ishe Smith were just two rounds. Lara's punches were landing a lot cleaner. Smith was making it a competitive fight, but at the same time, uh, Smith was also being dominated for most of that fight. I, you know, again, two rounds at most you could give to him. And fans were chanting Arislandi Lara's name at certain points of the fight. If you don't believe me, I will play the audio for you because everybody wants to say, oh, this guy doesn't have any fans. No, in Houston, Texas, this guy has fans. Difficult guy to fight. Look at his core, he keeps his core. Just kind of poking the bear. Yeah, okay, the chants aren't loud. They're, they're not uh, exactly bringing down the house. But at the same time, there weren't any boos during the fight. And it's not exactly as if people were chanting Ishe Smith's name. Uh, it, was, it was funny, actually. After the first round, Smith followed Lara back to his corner and actually got in his face. Steve Smoger didn't see it at first. He had to run over and kind of 
kind of shoo uh, E.J. Smith away. It was, it was pretty funny. But yeah, uh, Lara, he is just able to keep his cool in there. And he doesn't ever look uh, flustered or nervous about anything. He just knows what he has to do. They had, the, the commentators, they admit they're not big fans of his style, but they also say you can't take away anything that he does because he lands his punches. And in fact, uh, Barry Tompkins uh, on the Showtime commentary, he brought up a really, really good point. Yeah, and you can't call what Lara's doing running because he's throwing punches and he's connecting with punches. Of course, there are going to be people who still say, oh, well, he moves around the ring too much. And then they'll also praise Mayweather because they say, oh, it's hit and don't get hit. <laughs> yeah, come on. Just just be honest. Just be honest with yourself. But uh, again, great victory for Arislandi Lara. He's really showing that he is the best 154-pound fighter in the division. I don't know who's next for him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be getting a Canelo rematch anytime soon. Canelo's more focused on dictating terms to Miguel Cotto at this point. So, uh, yeah, either way, uh, he's... uh, sort of a mixed bag here in 2014 what with the decision against canelo which i did not agree with i thought he really should have gotten that but he was able to come back with this really good victory against ishe smith smith you know to his credit uh he really wanted to fight laura i can't think of a sane person who would want to but after round five smith was already starting to look discouraged his face was getting marked and he was doing good work when he had Lara up on the ropes, but actually when you go back and you look at the instant replay, you see that a lot of the punches that he's throwing, they're not effective scoring punches. It's like, oh, okay, that landed, but it landed on the elbow. That landed on the forearm. It didn't land on the body or the head. It just wasn't effective. And uh, his corner with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, after round seven, they're trying to psychologically motivate him they're saying oh he's dead tired go after him and i couldn't hear very clearly but i'm more than 95 percent certain that floyd mayweather was shouting advice to him between rounds between rounds seven and eight and you could also hear floyd screaming at the end of or not at the end of but during round 12 you could hear him screaming advice to smith but it just wasn't enough still uh credit to ishe smith for taking the fight and even more credit to Arislandi Lara for doing what he should do against Ishe Smith. Moving on. Okay, Andy Lee. I said that uh, we were going to talk about him earlier, and now I'm going to. I'm not a huge fan of the guy. I, I mean, don't take that to mean that I have something personal against him, but if um, you know, I hear Andy Lee's going to fight, I take interest, but I don't get overly excited. Again, it's nothing personal against him. He's a very entertaining fighter. It's just like, oh, Andy Lee's fighting. Oh, cool. And that's about as excited as I get. It's not like when Paul Williams was fighting. I was like, oh, yeah, Paul Williams. Let's go, man. Uh, But at the same time, I followed his career uh, very early on. Uh, I was very interested because Emmanuel Stewart was training him for his pro career. And I followed it very closely. I always thought that Lee was a good fighter, but I just never saw him ever winning a title belt, to be honest. But uh, Andy Lee did it. 
He won the vacant WBO middleweight title. I, uh, he won it from uh, Russia's Matt Korobov. Yeah, that's how you say it, Korobov. He was behind on on all the judges' scorecards. Uh, this happened in the sixth round. Uh, two of the judges had Korobov winning every round. And then, just like in his last fight against John Jackson... He's just, just when you think, okay, the the end is coming, because that's what happened in the John Jackson fight. You thought, oh, Jackson, wow, he's just landing these great, great shots. Lee, he just comes out with this beautiful, beautiful right hook, and he just, it was like he hit John Jackson, and John Jackson just kind of froze on spot and fell over. (laughs) It's probably my knockout of the year. But against Korobov, uh, they get into this exchange, and then Lee lands this beautiful right hook, and it wobbles Korobov, and just like Emmanuel Stewart probably would have wanted, Lee went after him, and he didn't stop. He just kept punching and punching until Kenny Bayless got between them, said, that's enough. And I think it's not the best audio, but I do have some for you, and I'm going to play that right now. And what was great also, because Lee has a title, he has this title belt now, um, Lee's name was actually trending on Twitter. You know, I didn't see a lot of Bradley Chavez or Amir Khan, Devin Alexander trending, but Andy Lee's name was. So, and I just put this on Twitter last night, Andy Lee's name is trending. Please shut the hell up if you are one of these idiots who likes to say that boxing is dying. No, boxing isn't dying, your brain is. That might sound a little harsh, but boxing is a harsh business, and this is a harsh world with harsh realities, and if some idiot is going to tell you that boxing is a dying sport, remind them that they're an idiot. Okay, now let's talk about Bradley versus Chavez the main event on the HBO card. I was, again, following this on Twitter, and I I don't understand it. Everybody everybody on my timeline is just saying Bradley. You know, Chavez is tough, but Bradley is just tougher. I mean, Bradley, he, he always is in immaculate condition. He's always the better conditioned fighter. But for whatever reason... The scoring of this fight, everybody was saying, you know, Harold Letterman had it 116 to 112. One judge had it a draw, 114, 114. Another judge had it 115 to 113 for Bradley. Judge Julie Letterman had it 116 to 112 for Chavez. You know what, Jim Lampley, why don't you get Julie Letterman on the fight game and then ask her what she was thinking? I would love for that to happen. It probably won't, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't... What What is the matter with boxing judges? Have we just become so used to the same names from the 90s 
and so on that we just think, oh, well, we can't replace them. They're a good judge. We have to remember that these judges, they get older. I don't know any of the ages of these judges. I'm not going to look them up, but we have to get in new judges, just people who actually know how to score a fight. And that's the way that you fix this stuff. I mean, I really don't want to see the Occupy Boxing hashtag again. I really don't. But um, I feel bad for Tim Bradley because it's clearly obvious to everybody who is watching that he won this fight. Unfortunately, to the three judges, except for the one who scored it uh, 115 to 113, Letterman and the other one, they don't know what they're watching. But they shouldn't be judging. That's for sure. And now we're going to get to the main event of the Showtime card, the highly anticipated showdown between Amir Khan and Devin Alexander for the WBC I Get to Fight Floyd Mayweather Championship. This really should have been called the Amir Khan Show because everything I saw was just about how good Amir Khan was and how Devin Alexander could not do anything. He could not adjust. He could not land effectively. And I was seeing people really compliment uh, Amir's hand speed and how that could possibly give Floyd Mayweather problems. I've seen, you know, people who are fans of Mayweather saying the same thing. It's like, oh, wow, you know, that could possibly give Floyd a bit of problems. I think Floyd might be able to adjust, but still, wow. I, you know, most people were expecting Amir Khan to win. But I don't think we expected him to win so so dominating. Uh, it was just really amazing. I have the final uh, show stats here. Amir Khan threw 563 punches, landed 243 at a 43% connect. Uh, a 43% connect. Ah. Uh. His connect percentage, there we go, hmm, was 43%. Uh, Devin Alexander threw 461 punches, landed just 91% connection. Ah! Screw this! 20% of his punches landed. <laughs> wow. Ugh. He was only able to land 22 jabs to Amir Khan's 123, and just 69 power punches compared to Amir Khan who landed 120. Uh, yeah, so, obviously, Khan is going to be facing Floyd Mayweather Jr. next May. Like it or not, I mean, I've seen some people say, you know what, Khan did really good last night, but he doesn't deserve or is ready for Mayweather. Uh, look, Mayweather needs a big opponent. People were not happy that he fought Maidana again and that the fight was boring. People want him to fight somebody big, like who can draw a big crowd, draw excitement. People that he wants an opponent that people will say, oh, yeah, I really want to see that fight. He can do that with Amir Khan because the percentage that the, that, uh, the British fans will bring in for pay-per-view is just going to be insane. It really will be. And, uh, yeah, after that, he'll probably ha have the fight with Manny Pacquiao. That's how it's going to happen. And people saying, oh, no, the Pacquiao fight, that's next for both of them. No, it's not. If he were to fight Pacquiao next, his, his final fight with Showtime would be a dud. 
because people would say, oh, well, you know, he's already beaten Manny Pacquiao. You know, people said that would be his toughest fight ever. Why would I want to watch him outclass some other guy who, you know, I don't care about? Anyway, that's how I see it. I mean, congratulations to Amir Khan. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's next for Devin Alexander. A lot of people were saying that he could not adjust in the fight. And that seems a bit strange to me because 27 years old, all the experience he has as a pro as well as a very a, a very large amateur background, you just kind of wonder why couldn't you do any adjusting in the fight? I don't know what his corner was saying to him, but... Um, yeah, don't know what's next for Alexander. Um, oh, I, th th this is just breaking news to me. Just how did I not find out about this? Wow, how, how, how did I not find out about this until now? And how did I not know anything about it until now? I am just, wow. Uh, first of all, to my audience, I really want to apologize for falling asleep on you because uh you deserve better you really deserve better for me but i i just can't believe this last night victor ortiz scored his first victory in three years three and a half years but you know what um wow he scored a third round tko against manuel perez wow victor I know that I give you a hard time all the time, but you know what? This is for you. That's right, Victor. I know that I love to make fun of you. I know I think you're delusional as hell when you think you're going to be an all-time great like Duran or Chavez, but you know what? You keep going for it. You get that victory, and I hope that 2015 is a lot kinder to you than 2014 was. Don't count on me to be a bit kinder. I am just going to be as sarcastic and snarky as ever, but... From Justin, Judy, and myself, everybody at BoxingForFree.com, we we just feel so happy for you that you got this victory. Now, I don't know, go make Expendables 4 or something, even though my friend really hated all the new guys in it, but that's a subject for another time. <laughs> Party hop, 
Okay, now's the part of the show where I want to help you, my beloved beloved audience, hmm, out this holiday season. Have you got that one friend or family member that's a boxing fan, but you don't know what to get them because they've got the weighted jump rope, they've got the speed bag, they've got the double end bag, they've got the heavy bag, the gloves, the wraps, the headgear, they've got everything. They've even got all the Rocky movies, including the bad ones, which is most of them, but who cares? and you don't know what to get them, get them these great books for Christmas. I know what you're thinking. Oh, books are boring. Be quiet. They're not, okay? Books are great for everybody. They can teach you things that you didn't know before. A lot of people can afford that. And uh, also, they're great gifts. So I'm just going to go through a, okay, quite a list I've got. But you know what? You'll thank me when you get these books for your friend or family member, and then you're out of trouble because you didn't get them anything because you should have gotten your your shopping done sooner. But I mean, whatever. Okay, number one is Shadow Boxers, Sweat, Sacrifice, and the Will to Survive in American Boxing Gyms. This is, oh, this is a coffee table book of the highest order. It's beautiful. Got these great, great pictures in there. It also includes some short stories and some essays. There's It begins with an introduction by uh, Burt Sugar and also a foreword written by the all-time great heavyweight Joe Frazier. Uh, it's over, I think it was printed in 2002, so you know a little over 12 years old, but it's worth every penny. I actually used to own this, but I think uh, when I was giving away some books I didn't need anymore, I accidentally included that in the pile. So please don't be like me. Get this book and hold on to it. Don't let it go. Number two is King of the World by David Remnick. Wow. This is what the movie Ali should have been. If you remember back in 2001, there was Ali, the biography. It uh, starred Will Smith. Will Smith was the only decent thing about that movie, really. I mean, I don't know where they went bad, but yeah, it could have been so much better. But instead, you made one of the most interesting athletes and people of the 20 uh, of the 20th century boring. And that's that's a crime. This book is not boring. It tells you so much about Ali that you never knew. It also is a great story about two other people, Floyd Patterson and Sonny Liston. It, it goes over their life stories as well. I can't recommend this book enough. Somebody should make that into an Ali movie. They really should. Number three is The Gloves, a boxing chronicle by Robert Annecy. When I first got into boxing about 10 years ago, I decided to uh, pick this book up, and I have read it at least 30 times in the past 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Robert Annecy is a writer, and at the age of 33, he decided to uh, finally fight in the Golden Gloves tournament after a short amateur career. Uh, the gym becomes a way of life for Annecy, and it does for the reader as uh, Annecy brings the reader into a world of training and competition of friendly rivalry, artistry, and violence. Uh, it's just great. I actually saw on a website that Leonardo DiCaprio was trying to make this into a movie, but that's all that ever came of it was just a rumor. Uh, no, uh, Annecy has great prose. It, uh, it's just a great book, and I wouldn't recommend these books if they weren't great. Number four, the Last Great Fight by Joe Layden. Why 
after almost, you know, next February, it'll be 25 years. Why has somebody not made the story of Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson into a movie? Because the material is in this book. Just take what's in this book, make that into a movie there. You've got, well, I don't know if you've got an Oscar, but damn, you're going to have a great movie. Everybody who could be interviewed is interviewed. You've got Aaron Snowell, Tyson's trainer for that fight. He speaks to Mike Tyson as well. He speaks to Buster Douglas extensively. He speaks with Douglas's trainers, friends, family members, anybody who you would want uh, Layden to speak to, he does. This is a book that I would definitely recommend to anybody who's a fan of Tyson, Douglas, or just boxing history. It's everything you could want for in a book about just one fight. Number five is Four Kings by George Kimball. The 1980s was a golden era for boxing in between the welterweight and middleweight uh, divisions, and this book shows why. Hagler, Hearns, Duran, Leonard, they all fought each other, sometimes more than once, and it details the buildup, the negotiations, the fight, and what happened afterwards. It does it all. It's it's great. It really is. He speaks with Leonard Duran. He tells you stuff that you probably didn't even know was happening at that time. I'd never knew. You know, you'd think a big fight between Hagler and Hearns would obviously take place in Vegas, but believe it or not, it almost took place in Windsor, Ontario, not too far from where I lived. And that would just, it's kind of strange, but obviously it didn't happen. But still, pick up this book because uh, it's a its a real treat. Number six is Pac-Man, Behind the Scenes with Manny Pacquiao, the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the world by Gary Andrew Poole. Now, okay, that title might have you shaking your head and saying, oh, come on, when was this made? Oh, well, okay, it was made in 2010. That's, uh, I actually got it a few weeks before it came out. But again, this is a great book about one of the greatest fighters of our era, Manny Pacquiao. It talks about his struggles with certain fighters coming up through the rankings, training with Freddie Roach, the promoters, everybody. In fact, you know, just going through it right now, I've still got uh, the plane ticket from my flight home when I got this book almost uh, four years ago. Again, great book about a great fighter. If you're a Manny Pacquiao fan or you know somebody who is a Pacquiao fan, pick them up. That was number six. Number seven is Shivalo, A Fighter's Life, the story of boxing's last uh, gladiator. This was tough to read for me, not because, you know, it's by any means bad. It's just all the crap that George Chevalo went through in his life. Um, he's lost so many of his sons to drugs. His wife committed suicide. And yet, despite all of that, George Chevalo is still standing strong. If you read this book, you'll get inside uh, his mind. You'll go inside his fights. Uh... It's somewhat emotionally exhausting after a while, so try not to uh, try not to go through that in one sitting. Number, uh, I think that w- that was seven. So number eight is the bite fight: Tyson Holyfield and the night that changed boxing forever. 
with a forward and commentary by Mike Tyson. Yeah, not what you would expect, but uh, this book is, is really good. Granted, it does get a few facts uh, incorrect. Sorry, it does. I That's not my fault. Blame, blame uh, the author for not getting it right. But uh, again, it's a great fight about the buildup, what happened the first time they met in the ring, how they met beforehand as amateurs, uh, and also what happened during and after the fight. You, uh, it, I again, this was not a fight that I liked. In fact, I wasn't following boxing, and this made me hate boxing for a while because they decided, okay, well, Tyson can keep fighting afterwards. But um, no, it's it's really good. And uh, the next book that this would be nine. So this is One Punch from the Promised Land: Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, and the Myth of the Heavyweight Title. The Spinks brothers are kind of like boxing's goofus and gallant. They really are, and uh, I think you can already tell which is which. Michael, he he didn't want to become a pro, but he did. Uh, he went on to become one of the greatest light heavyweights ever, and he also beat Larry Holmes twice. Leon beat Muhammad Ali once, and it was all downhill from there. Uh... The thing that the biggest impression I got from this was that if Mike or sorry, not if Michael, if Leon had dedicated himself to the sport and to his craft, he probably could have gone on to become one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time. And he didn't. It, this details all of their personal struggles. And uh, it also goes into great detail about how they were able to make Spinks versus Tyson and what happened to Michael Spinks's money after uh, Butch Lewis died because uh yeah nothing's sacred in boxing anyway those are all the books I can think of right off the top of my head go out buy them go to amazon.com or order them or just go to finer uh, bookstore outlets in Canada or the United States I'm sure they're available and get them for that friend or family member and make them have a Merry Christmas. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at www.boxingforfree.com. That's boxing, the number four, free.com. Twitter.com slash boxing for free. Be like Eris Lundy Lara, Robert Guerrero, Berman Stavern, Millerad Zizek, Adonis Stevenson, Glenn Johnson. Wow, that's a lot of famous boxers and hundreds of others. And follow us on Twitter. Go to youtube.com slash boxing for free and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxing for free page. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, shut the hell up.